0: This is One in 44, a presentation of Anderson Center for Autism. One in 44 is a weekly show devoted to Autism Spectrum Disorder. Good morning and welcome to One in 44, the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozenski, Chief Development Officer at Anderson Center for Autism. And with me today is Vanessa Castaneda-Gill. She is the CEO and co-founder of a company called Social Cipher. So Vanessa, it's a pleasure having you on today.
1: Hi there. Thanks. It's really good to be here.
0: Um, I appreciate you taking the time. I think we should maybe start with um, you telling us a little bit about yourself um, and kind of your background. um, And then definitely um, let's get going on learning more about what Social Cypher is and and, uh, get our listeners excited about it. So I'll hand it over to you.
1: Yeah. Happy to talk about that. Uh, so typically when people ask why I founded my company, um, I'll tell them that it all started when I was 14. Um, so at 14 years old, um, I found out that I had autism and ADHD. Um, and for me, it was really difficult, especially as a young woman growing up on the spectrum and with the very scarce amount of representation, especially for young women, uh, who are neurodivergent, um. I had a really hard time facing my diagnosis and the way it was told to me was very much in a way that was negative. And I think that a lot of the stereotypes just really got to me. Um, So for in the very beginning, I really thought that I was supposed to be this cold and calculating robot. That's all I could be. And I, I, you know, couldn't ever connect with people or emotions. So I was like, all right, (laughs) if this is what I'm supposed to be, I might as well not even try. And so uh, that's what I did for about six years. I completely hid my diagnosis from anyone um, just out of shame. And I uh, just tried to kind of fit that very stereotypical and very untrue mold. Uh, And of course, that did not turn out well. I uh, suffered from years of depression and anxiety and really just abysmal self-esteem. Steam. And And uh, really what started turning it around for me was, I guess it was a couple things. Um, one of them was that I've I like an amazing mom who was constantly just working with me and helping me figure out that there were other ways that I could be learning. Um, and they weren't going to be the normal, quote unquote, whatever that means, um, ways of learning. Uh, and so for me, what worked was uh, looking at the characters and the stories that I loved in music and movies and games and understanding the conversations through those and understanding my own way that I connect with others um, through those mediums. Um, and so after a while of doing that, I realized that I was never actually broken. I just needed a very different way to learn, and that was okay. And so I uh, Went through that, ended up uh, pursuing neuroscience, um, and I became a neuroscience researcher for a couple of years. Um, and basically, you know, somewhere along that journey, I started realizing that I could put my personal experience and my experience in neuroscience together uh, to create something for other young people so that they never had to think about themselves the way that I thought about myself. Um, so that's really how Social Cypher started, and now we are a, uh, essentially, we make video games that help neurodivergent youth and the professionals who work with them better understand social-emotional skills.
0: Great. <laughs> That's a lot of information. Thank you for <laughs> sharing that background. Um, I, I love the opportunity that I get through this podcast to talk to so many people who um, either similar to you are, you know, have have um, a diagnosis on the autism spectrum or are the parents or caregivers for somebody who is who have been so incredibly creative and thoughtful, not only about um, like you said, taking something that unfortunately, um, for so many is presented in a negative light, um, either for a parent of maybe a young child or certainly in your case for a 14 a year old girl, which I can, um, only imagine, um, But creating positivity out of it, both for yourself, but also what I love is is the impact that you've um, broadened out to so many others through your work. So I think it's it's really cool. I want to get into some of the details of the the video games and how they do that. But um, if you don't mind, I would also like to start by just going back to something you said where you discovered... I think um, that, that you enjoyed or, or you started to really learn about emotional connectivity and maybe relationship building and how that all is intertwined with um, various types of communication by watching movies and playing games, playing video games and things. So can you maybe delve into that a little bit more and give us an example? Cause I'm thinking there might be a number of people listening who um might either want to do that or might be already doing that. It might be great for them to to hear your experience.
1: Yeah, for sure. So one of my, um, one thing that I always talk about is like my special interest in movie soundtracks. So it was like movie scores and soundtracks that really got me. Um, and I, I, learned early on that I just, I could recognize emotion much better in music than I could in uh, people's facial expressions or the way they were speaking. And so a lot of the time when there were, you know, things happening on screen in a movie, I would like watch the conversations that that was happening and I'd match it with the movie soundtrack. And I'd be like, oh, this is a sad conversation or, oh, this is something where this is music that's indicating that someone has doubts. And so I would try to match that. um, And I started kind of like, as I was conversing with people in real life, I'd start like playing the movie soundtracks in my head to better understand what was going on um, and seeing it fit.
0: That's really cool. I did not know that you were going to say that, that was surprising. <laughs> that's, um, that is actually, that's, that really, I've just got my wheels turning now because um, music, I think is one of those, is one of those uh, languages you can say that really has so much emotion behind it. And just like any other art form, it, Um, It also has that, to me, it has that um, ability to touch people in lots of different ways. Um, Mm -hmm. But if you've ever played around with uh, watching a movie or like an extremely maybe high intensity or scary or romantic, like high emotion scene without the soundtrack... It changes everything when you're watching that, so that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, That, but it's it's. Do you have any idea like why music spoke to you in that way? Was there any background for you in in your family where you grew up? You know, as a really young child, listening to a lot of music or anything like that.
1: Yeah, so I did, um, I actually did a little bit of research on this when I was back in my research days, and I did a lot, like a big kind of literary literary white paper study, Mm -hmm. and I did find a lot of research that was saying basically that neurodivergent youth, um, especially those who are autistic, just have... uh, much typically can tend to have a much better uh, understanding of like differences, even very subtle differences in pitches and tones. Um, and so they can distinguish like individual elements of music um, mm-hmm. very specifically and kind of like one on top of another very meticulously. Um, and that's kind of how i always been. I've always been able to like understand every single thing that is going on in a music track. Um, and yeah, I think that's just kind of how it's happened. I also have, um, I, I've just always been very keen with uh, just auditory stimuli. So I think that's kind of how it's it's happened. Like you have that sensory, a lot of folks have that sensory sensitivity um, mm-hmm. to sound, of course. And I think that it can also be very much a gift
0: when it comes to being able to distinguish very subtle sounds. Mm-hmm. And what an interesting, thank you, uh, and just fascinating to hear also that, does it happen automatically now for you, where the music just starts comes into your head as you're as you're conversing with people, or do you have to summon it to some degree?
1: I actually, I actually don't usually use it now. Um, I- Now it's more of a thing that I'll, yeah, I'll use it when I'm working and stuff. But I think that, uh, the need for it, um, has faded. Like sometimes when they're very high points, there'll be like specific times where I'm like, I need to hear this in order to understand what I'm feeling, um, and to distinguish it. Cause it also works that way where it's like, I need to hear this song because I need to understand what emotion I am having right now. Um, that also happens that way. Um. So it comes in in different
0: ways, I guess. I love it. I I think again, I've learned so much from doing these podcasts because I get to talk to so many different people that otherwise I just would not probably meet. And um, you know, if it was all just you know in sort of real life day to day, and and I just find it fascinating and so cool that um, I think what you're talking about to me is something that would have impact on so many people. Also, you know, people not on the spectrum in in any way. I just think the idea of relating. Um, or using those tools that naturally surround us and those opportunities and shared experiences that naturally surround us, you know, whether you're at a concert or um, or, you know, any sort of recital or just listening to the radio next to somebody, being able to... Just take advantage of that musical opportunity to check in with yourself. How are you feeling? Does this resonate? Um, I was also going to share kind of randomly that there's something that's happened to me lately for some reason is that I've been dreaming a lot in music. Like I have a soundtrack in my dreams, which is odd. I'm trying to figure out why that's been happening, but maybe it's connected to some of the some of my um, emotions I'm working out while I'm sleeping, but either way, um, I find music more powerful than, than probably most of us even realize. So, um, Vanessa, this has been great so far. Thank you for diving into that background a little bit more with me than you may have realized I was going to ask you to, um, we're going to take a short break, but when we come back, let's talk about social cypher and the actual company that you founded and that you run, um, all about video games that, uh, I guess are, a uh, a culmination or an outcome of this personal experience that you had and how they impact um, people around you who are using them. Um, So this is 1 in 44, the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozenski, and we'll be right back. Alone, our reach is limited. No matter how great our intentions, on our own, we can only stretch so far. But at Rotary, We believe the right group of people working together can make our communities, our world, a better place. Rotary is a worldwide network of community volunteers dedicated to helping people in need. Learn more at rotary.org. Rotary, humanity in motion.
1: Hey hon, what you doing with your phone? Taking pictures? No,
0: I'm asking questions. Like what? Hey Bobo, do flowers have best friends?
1: I'm sorry. I'm afraid I don't know that.
0: Hey, follow me.
1: I want to show you something. Look, flowers do have best friends. Whoa. Some answers can only be found in nature. Discover the
0: unsearchable. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a trail near you. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council. And now, 1 in 44 continues on 100.7 WHUD. This is a weekly community affairs program presented by the Anderson Center for Autism. Welcome back to 1 in 44, the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozinski, and I'm speaking with Vanessa Castaneda-Gill, who is the CEO and co-founder of Social Cipher. Um, Vanessa, thank you so much for sharing your um, personal background and also um, your connection to movie scores and sound soundtracks and kind of how that's um, impacted and helped you, or at least when you were younger, um, um, how that's helped you um, connect maybe more personally and more clearly with the emotions that you're feeling and maybe the emotions of of people you're connecting with. Um, How did that turn into Social Cypher? Can you give us, can you tell us now the story of Social Cypher and what it is and how it it works?
1: Definitely. Um, So... Basically, let's see what happened here. So, in my research, um, I was studying a lot of different sort of brain waves. I was uh, traditionally more cellular molecular neuroscience, but um, there was a little bit of Uh, cognitive that I had done um, abroad for a little while. And so after coming back, I basically I I was in my dorm lounge in college and I was reading this book that was talking about different brain waves. And it just popped into my head that I had this personal experience. And then essentially in the book, it was like, oh, someone should create something for this. And I was like, maybe it could be me. I have I have this personal experience. I have the research background now to, you know, kind of understand what's going on a little bit. Um, And so I started working on it. And at first it was gonna be this big laboratory project kind of thing where we had these, you know, big EEG head uh, sort of headsets and we were measuring different waves. But then I realized that I didn't want this to be something that was just in a lab. And also uh, other important thing was that I wanted it to be accessible. Um, And a lot of the time, in a lot of autism research, especially that I've seen, most of it does focus on upper middle class white boys. There is not a lot of information that is out there for um, different cultures, different ethnic backgrounds, different socioeconomic uh, backgrounds. And so I wanted to create something that was gonna be able to serve everyone. And for that to happen, it wasn't gonna be in a lab. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I ended up turning to VR uh, with a couple of my co-founders who, at the time were my closest friends uh, who basically were the first people I told my diagnosis about, I told about my diagnosis. Um, And uh, we started, you know, going into virtual reality and being like, all right, this is the way. Uh, And we realized that, um, that wasn't going to work either just because there was a lot of, you know, sensory sensitivity to headsets. There was a lot of need for supervision. Um, We wanted to make this something easy, accessible, something that could integrate into people's lives. Mm -hmm. Um, And so finally we settled on a video game um, and thus began the many years of development and figuring out what the heck we were doing. Um, So, you know, we were a bunch of seniors in college at this point. And I really just thought this was going to be a white paper study that I could publish before I left. Um, And so that's basically, we just kept ideating, kept trying to talk to people. Um, We met our very first play tester, whose name was Ava. um, And that is actually the name of our game now. Um, And yeah. Um, And she was like six years old when we met her. She's now 10 and still tests our games, which is crazy. Um, And uh, yeah. So Basically, we started winning all these pitch competitions and all these business competitions. And I realized that this could be more than a white paper study, that maybe this could be something that actually could impact a lot of kids. And so uh, that's really when I kind of just decided to take the leap. I ended up being accepted into a program over in D.C. called Halcyon, where I went and lived straight out of college, lived with eight other social entrepreneurs, um, and I was paid full time to... I was paid uh, to work full-time on my venture. Um, so that's how it all began. And uh, yeah, we're here about four years later and now we're about a 15 person team. Um, we have, uh, we've been, impacting kids in over 100 schools, more than 100 schools and therapy centers now internationally Um, and uh, really our game series is all about this young star mapper named Ava. She's autistic and she's 12 years old Um, and she basically just goes about the galaxy with her captain red braid and goes to try to figure out all these pirates that might be a fit for her crew and through that she's finding community she's kind of defeating her own self doubt and she's just understanding and embracing her identity throughout. Um, And I think the story, the representation of all kinds of neurodivergent characters, Mm -hmm. um, and the fact that we're developed by a 50% neurodivergent team is really what makes the difference for us. Um, And really what helps kids realize that, yeah, there are role models out there for them and that, you know, their identity and uh, being neurodivergent is something to be embraced and explored and advocated for.
0: Sounds great. And congratulations on such success, a hundred, over a hundred schools. And you said international now too, right? Yeah. that's great. We went international a couple months ago. Awesome. Beyond the United States, where are you? Uh, The UK,
1: Canada, and Australia. Australia is picking up a ton, um, (laughs) which is
0: really cool. Nice. That's wonderful. Um, So I could go a lot of different directions. I'm curious about the whole Halcyon experience, um, but uh, maybe we can come back to that. Uh, For now, can you just give me an example of maybe one type of interaction, a little more detail that Ava might have in the game as she's looking for, um, you know, potential members of her crew? Like, what types of either questions or information is she tasked with trying to figure out? That I'm sure doesn't feel like therapy in the moment, but is obviously having an impact um, for all these um, all of these kids.
1: Definitely. So um, I would say probably the one that we found ended up, that ended up being kind of the most profound one uh, was her interaction with a pirate called Zeke. Um, so essentially, uh, Ava goes on these different quests uh, throughout the game. Each is for a different pirate character. to, f- And very importantly, it's about figuring out whether she wants to bring them on the crew or not. Mm-hmm. It's really about the player's choice. It's less about like you must please every character and get them on, you know? Okay. Um, we think that it's much more important for them to have these interesting conversations of, uh, "Hey, why did you make that choice that seems like it wouldn't be socially correct?" Because um, that helps you get to the bottom of things. Anyway, so there's this character named Zeke, um, and he looks really cool. He's got purple hair and gold jewelry and all that. He's a you know high flying pilot, um, but as Ava starts to speak to him, turns out he's kind of disrespectful and uh, in a very subtle way, just. Yeah, not a nice guy. And one thing that we saw with a lot of neurodivergent girls specifically, um, which is just very saddening, um, is that they would continue to try to appeal to this character, no mm. matter how disrespectful he was. And he gets increasingly more disrespectful over time. You have multiple chances uh, to reject him um, and to say, hey, you're not a great fit. This isn't cool. Um, and so many neurodivergent girls we've seen just continue to appeal to him and do everything everything they can to get him on their crew. And yeah. um, And it's, I think it's shown a lot uh, just to the fact that unfortunately um, neurodivergent girls are, we are just, a lot more susceptible um, to folks that will just take advantage of us, mm-hmm. um, and potentially to abusive relationships, and that is something that a lot of therapists, um, I think, are are trying to prepare them for. Um, and for one of the therapists specifically that was working with uh, the the first girl that experienced this, um, she was like, "I I've been working with this person for three four years. I had no idea she had these issues with self ad- with self advocacy." So yeah, it's it's things like that where I'm so glad we were able to step in, but there is so much work we have to do to be able to support, especially our neurodivergent girls and young women, right. um, especially in that area of advocating for themselves.
0: That's that's a really great example and one that I again you know I'm glad to share because I wouldn't necessarily have, have thought of that one. Um, what so 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 is it fair to say that that um, Ava specifically that the game is meant at least for now to really be accompanied by either an educational experience a professional working with a, a child um, in a or in a therapeutic school setting or something like that. This is not purely as sort of hang out by yourself and play this game because you want that other sort of reflective piece, right. Of, you know, how long is this person going to try in that example to, um, to um, to make this connection with this person who's becoming more increasingly um, disrespectful. Is that, is that what you're doing right now? And are there any plans to shift off in the future or do something different?
1: Yeah. So I think that the best experience with Ava is probably using it with an educational professional or with any type of supportive adult. Mm -hmm. Um, We also do have curriculum and a remote streaming and tracking platform that comes with the games um, and with the series and all these other resources. But we've seen that, you know, being used in a classroom, in a small group, we have a lot of homeschool parents or just parents that are very engaged Mm -hmm. that'll use it. And that'll also use the curriculum. But I think the real value that Ava provides is being able to, offer sort of a role-playing experience that's one step removed from it being like actual one-on-one and being a little bit safer and feeling a little bit, yeah, just making it a little bit safer to fail for kids. Um, And also just being really engaging and fun and creating these very rich conversations that about social emotional skills that you wouldn't be able to have otherwise.
0: It sounds great. And, I uh, and now I want to just take the last minute or so to make sure that we cover all the different ways people can get more information about Ava and about social cipher. Yeah. So why don't you throw out websites, social media links, whatever you want to do to make sure people know, um, how they can find out more.
1: Yeah, sure. So you can find us, um, on Instagram at social cipher, TikTok everywhere at social cipher. Um, you can find us at social um, and that's where you can also, by the game, schedule a demo with me, anything you want.
0: That sounds great. Um, plans for the future? Anything we should be
1: keeping an eye out? We do have a very big partnership coming up. I cannot say with whom, but <laughs> uh, it is a very big one. We also have a parent model coming out, actually. A parent, um, so a parent. Oh, a
0: parent module. Cool. Mm-hmm. Excellent. And so we'll have some extra resources for that, too. Well, Vanessa Castaneda-Gill from Social Cypher, I really appreciate you coming on the show today and telling us about the game, uh, about Ava. I love that you kept the name of your first game tester, who continues to be a game tester as the name of the main character and the game itself. I'm sure that that um, makes her feel pretty good, um, which is a very cool personal connection. And and just thank you so much for sharing your story and your experience. Um, Sounds like a great opportunity for our listeners to check you out at Social Cypher. Um, that's everything at social cipher, right? Pretty much social. Oh, yeah. Media. And
1: then the website is socialcyphergame.com
0: socialcyphergame.com. And you can get a demo with Vanessa herself. You can get the games, you can get the modules and the curriculum and everything that goes along with it. So thank you again, Vanessa, so much for being on the show today and best of luck with your new and future endeavors. Thank you so much. All right. This is one in 44, the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozenski. And remember, Anderson cares. You've been listening to one in 44, a weekly presentation of the Anderson Center for Autism. Join us for another edition of the show at this time next weekend.